understand. Let's get started.
Good morning and welcome to North Point. Go ahead, grab a seat real quick. My name is Bob Carr. And um, I just want to, you don't know much about me. And last week they were like, hey, we're going to put this guy in waist deep water. Give him a six-year-old and an eight-year-old and a microphone and see how it goes. So that was last week. Like, hey, this week, let's put him like on stage and give him an actual mic. So we kind of passed the test or something like that. That's probably what went through Jamie's head. But 
Uh, we're glad you're here. Thanks for joining us this morning. We want to know that you are here. So on the left side of your row, my right, so over here, you're going to find a little black book. Go ahead, pick up that black book. Write down whatever information you would like us to know about you to make contact with you. If there's anything you'd like to communicate with us, feel free to go ahead and drop that in there. Pass it to your right, my left. And as you're on the way, a little fist bump, high five, or like nasty look. Whatever you'd like to do, that's up to you as you pass it along towards the other side of the row. And uh, while you're at it, if you're not here with us and you're hanging out with us online, we have the North Point app. Go ahead and check in there. If you don't know anything about that either, you're going to go ahead and text that information, text, text guest to 833-CHAT-NCC or 833-242-8622. Call now. All right. So I'm, I, apologize, I apologize for that. That was my fault. It's a first. All right, so while you're in the app or if you're here with us, we would love if you would respond maybe to, to what Rick has been talking about in your heart and your mind. He's been talking about finances the last few weeks as we've been going through this series of hustle. And maybe this is your chance for you to be like, hey, this is it. This is my opportunity for me to actually respond to that, to act upon that and do something with my finances and your giving. And that giving goes to ministries all across here in the church, in the building going on this morning, throughout the week, and throughout the community as well. So we appreciate that. If you'd like to do that online, it's available on the app. Or if you want to do it on your way out the door, there's a couple boxes as well that you can drop your gift in there. So thanks so much for joining us. We have a video coming up in just a second. So here it goes. So I really just wanted to talk about um, the overall experience that I've had through Life Group. So I've been in the same Life Group since I've come to church about North Point specifically about four years ago. And we started attending the Rubel Life Group. Um, not that that makes a difference, but it is a difference in my life and um, my husband's life as well. So um, over those four years, we've grown so much by having that like tight-knit community. Um, and so I just really wanted to speak to that for anybody who's not currently in a life group and just what it's been over these four years, but more so what it's been through experiencing God because I feel like it was two totally different circumstances. Um, in these four years, we've developed a family and friends and, um, you know, we would eat meals together and dessert. And, you know, I've got my sweet friend who always says, what can I bring you to eat? <laughs> And that question makes me feel loved. And I think we talked about in Experiencing God, how do you see the people um, in your life group or church? And I've said, especially of the women, that I feel like they're mothers and sisters and friends um, and daughters, you know, cousins, whatever you want to say, but just that tight-knit community. I always feel like I'm coming home when I go to life group. And for me, that's been such an impact because my husband and I aren't from the area, especially me, I'm from the South. So having that home was really important. Um, but through experiencing God, and even within the life group, what I saw was something amazing of people really getting into this study and um, really opening up their hands and saying, uh, God, how do you want to use me? And that was so cool because we've seen 
baptisms. <laughs> After baptism in our group um, of people just feeling the revival. And I've also seen um, people saying, hey, I'm feeling called. I'm feeling led to do this. This is how I feel God is moving in my life. This is a God-sized prayer that I'm thinking about. And that has been really, really cool to be a part of. And I feel energized um, as a part of it too, just seeing everybody and how their eyes are lighting up, how they feel that excitement for God. Um, and so one, experiencing God, I feel like was just such an amazing thing to do in our church, but even more so in a small group. So my kind of reason for being here is to say, if you're not in a small group, I really, really hope that like somebody would um, seek that out to try to have that connection, to really have the community, um, to really get into the hands and feet and the body of Christ because that's what we're meant to be. Um, and that's what's been coming up in my readings um, is that we're meant to be a body and all the parts in it. Uh, and I don't think you can do that without being connected in unity. Morning. Yeah, give it up for Chris. That uh, I, I think they'll probably be here second service to um, to share um, some cool stuff. Hey, I, I wanted uh, Bob too. Give it up for Bob. First time. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, if if you don't have the North Point app, I would encourage you to uh, go ahead and download that. Um, there's this place in the app that has actually the notes from today's message, and you can kind of follow along. You have the scriptures there ready to go. Down at the bottom, you can actually ask questions about the message, and uh, we do a podcast that comes out on Tuesdays that uh, we answer those questions. And uh, this past week on the podcast, I said, um, the podcast is kind of like for the graduate students at North Point. Um, it's, it's for the people who kind of want more. And, um, and so it's a cool thing. Uh, the people in my life group gave me grief because they said, oh, we're all graduate students. We're all graduate students. Um, and none of us ever graduate. So that's, that's good. Um, I'm just, I'm excited about what I have to share this morning. Um, one of my foremost, uh, one, one of my foremost formulative experiences when I was in college at Cincinnati Bible College happened not in the classroom, but it happened in the groups that I was in that traveled at that period in time. Uh, back when I was in college, there were, it was common for, for Christian colleges to have groups that would go to a church for a weekend and would minister. They would sing, they would teach, they would do those kind of things. And I was a part of one of those groups. Um, they taught me how to prepare a message, how to prepare a lesson. They taught, they taught us how to perform, how to sing, how to communicate, th those kind of things. They taught us how to minister, how to stay in people's homes, how to minister to people kind of no matter what was going on. And that was such a big, big part of my development as, uh, as a Christian and as a leader. My sophomore year, I was in a group that, that was, um, at that point in time, that year, it was the best group that the college had musically. So as a result of being in the best group musically, we got to go to all the big churches. We got to go on longer trips. We got to do a lot of fun stuff because we were there to make sure that, you know, to, to work with alumni and to, to um, kind of build goodwill for the college. It was, it was really, really fun. Um, 
Deb was the accompanist for that group, my wife, Deb. Um, we didn't really know each other before our sophomore year, even though we were in a, not a large college, but uh, we knew of each other, but didn't really know each other. And, and she got roped into playing for this group of, f- of four guys that traveled and sang. Um, as the leader of the group, I ended up the leader of that particular group. Um, and as the leader, it was my job to make sure that we got from where we were in Cincinnati to the, whatever church that we were going to, that we had the money that we needed to buy gas, to buy food, to do all those things. No one from the college traveled with us, none of the faculty. So it was just five kids, 18, 19 years old. I am still astounded when I look back on that and think about the trust that they placed in us to do that, but they did. And my job was to make sure that everything went well. Um, there's one, per, one trip in particular I remember that relates to today's message, and um, it was early in the year. We were going from Cincinnati to northwest Pennsylvania to near uh, outside um, Erie in the Meadville area. And, um, and the way that, the way that um, I led the process with four 18 or 19-year-olds was you figured out how much time it was going to take to get where you're going, and then you added a whole lot of time on top of that, Right? Um, some of you know this from your families, right? You add a lot of time on top of that because I knew somebody was always going to forget something. Somebody was always going to oversleep. Somebody was always going to get roped into a conversation. Something was going to happen. And in order for us not to be late, I built in about 10 minutes for every hour of travel that we had and 30 minutes on the front end and 30 minutes on the back end for anything that might happen so that we would get there on time. So, um, I never told the rest of the team that because if you tell them that, it's not going to do any good, right? So I would always, oh no, we have to leave at 2.30. We have to leave right at 2.30. But the thing that happened was if we left at 2.45 or 2.50, it was no big deal because I had built that extra time in. So this particular trip to Northwest Pennsylvania, um, it was early in the year. We're in the van. We're talking about what we're going to do that weekend, who's doing what, who's speaking, what songs we're singing. And all of a sudden, Deb's face got really pale. And she said, I don't know where the music is. She's the accompanist, and, and we're going to a church that has significant ties to, the, to Cincinnati Christian University. And, uh, and so I said, well, okay, let's get off at this next exit. We do. She goes through all of her stuff, no music. So she said, what are we going to do? And her eyes are wide because she came from a home that um, oftentimes when there was something like that that would happen, there would be kind of an explosion. And I said, well, we're going to go back to Cincinnati, go back to the college and get the music and take off again. And she said, really? And I said, what choice do we have? We're we're going to go back and do it. So we drive back to Cincinnati. Long story short is that we ended up making it to the church that we were going to right on time, all because of the extra time that we had built in, that I had built in ahead of time. And it took away all the pressure and the stress of that trip. Um, uh, Because of that margin that we built into that, we made it without any difficulties. I didn't freak out. Nobody stressed out. You might might say margin margin got me married. Um, Because it was, uh, that was the first time that Deb said, hmm, 
hmm, maybe this is a guy that I could have, that, that this guy's intriguing. And if you've been around before, you've heard me say that it was during that, that time period that Deb said very clearly, I don't want to get married, I don't want to have kids, and I don't want to marry a pastor. And we've been married 41 years and have six kids, eight grandkids, all that kind of stuff. Margin, margin is what I want to talk about today. Margin is the buffer in our life that prevents stress and anxiety from taking over our minds, our hearts, our lives. It's, margin is the anticipation of things that we can't anticipate. And when we do that, it keeps us sane and calm. It allows us to go with the flow. It allows us to not be governed by our circumstances, but by what's most important to us. Um, margin is what can keep us from living a life of always hustling, always hustling, always hustling. Margin is what makes the difference. Rick Warren, the, the author of Purpose Driven Life and the recently retired pastor from Saddleback, says margin is the space between my load and my limits. The space between my load and my limits. John Fuller, a pastor in Iowa, says margin is the buffer between where you are on the rope and the end of the rope. Sometimes we live at the end of our rope, and it's no surprise when our lives blow up. Margin is being someplace else on the rope and not on the end. Um, Put simply, margin is simply having extra time in our schedules, extra bucks in our budgets, um, time where we can breathe, extra money set aside so that we can use it for a need that comes up in the moment because we've already kind of created that margin. Margin's not an emergency fund. Margin's not uh, money in savings. Margin is money that you just simply don't plan to spend, and it's just there to be used whenever it's needed. When we build margin into our lives, it takes away... It, it takes away a tool from Satan that he can use to steal and kill and destroy us. When we don't have margin in our lives, it makes us incredibly vulnerable uh, to Satan. Uh, because we have margin, it creates discretionary time, discretionary money in our lives that, it, that make it easier for us to see how God is working and how we can join him in that process. Margin is both modeled and mandated, I think, in Scripture. And I just want to spend some time this morning kind of laying the case for that from Scripture and then talking about what that might look like in our lives a little bit more. In Genesis chapter 2, um, verses 2 and 3, it says this about creation. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the world of creating that he had done. That rest that God lived out himself was creating margin in his world. He modeled it for us to say, you've got to have that. Have you ever, have you ever wondered, why is it that we can't work 24 hours a day? Why is it that we can't go and do stuff? Some of us try and do that, right? You just go and go and go and go. God built into us the need to have some margin. We need to take some steps and make some choices to create that margin. Sabbath was designed to create margin. Sleep was designed so that we could have margin. 
When the Israelites came out of the promised land and uh, came out of slavery in Egypt and were moving into the promised land in Canaan, God gave them instruction about margin with this really kind of weird um, command that he gave him. When you read it, when you think about it, it's like, where did that come from? I want you to just hear what God told the Israelites and then think about it in terms of margin. Leviticus 19, when you reap the harvest of your land, agrarian culture, they're, they're building stuff. When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Don't go over your vineyard a second time and pick up all the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. God said, don't get so consumed with trying to get every ounce of harvest out of your grain, every ounce of harvest out of the grapes that might fall. Don't go back and try and, and work everything to the edges because I'm God. There are people that need to be able to go back through and pick that up. For, foreigners didn't have land. When, when the Israelites moved into the promised land, only the Israelites got land. The foreigners didn't. And so the foreigners and the poor didn't have any way to take care of themselves. And God said, you know what? Plant your fields, build your vineyards, do all that, but leave some there. Don't feel like you have to get every ounce out of the ground that you can. Um, I grew up in the suburbs, but my grandfather had a 260 acre farm. It was about 90 minutes from where we lived. And so um, on the first day of hunting season every year when I was growing up, I would go with my dad, my uncle, my grandpa, brother-in-laws, and we would go and hunt the farm for small game stuff. Not, not deer, but rabbit, pheasant, quail, that kind of thing. Um, we got stuff typically, but it was really primarily to just walk the farm, to see what was going on with the dirt, what it looked like, how the crops had been, that kind of thing. And the thing that I remember about walking grandpa's farm was that there were fence rows that separated the fields. And when I was young, the, the, around the fence row, there was probably six feet, maybe 10 feet of just overgrowth that, that was there at the fence row because at that point in time, the tractors didn't have all of the GPS and the stuff that they have now. And so they didn't farm all the way right to the edge. It made it a challenge when you were crossing fields, but it was a, it was a cool thing because in that fence row, that's where you were gonna find pheasant. That's where you're gonna kick up rabbits. That's, that's where you're gonna see the game. I remember going back, um, I was, I think in college when I went back and hunted the last time, and they had gotten new tractors that were much more sophisticated, and they actually planted all the way up right to the fence. There, there almost was no fence row at all anymore. And I remember thinking, the farm doesn't look as healthy without that fence row. We didn't see any pheasant. We didn't see any quail. We only saw a couple of rabbits. Um, because the fence row created a space for the animals, it also created a space that kept the soil from eroding. It, um, it created a, a place that, that allowed the soil to be enriched in a way that made the farm more productive. God said to the Israelites, have that fence row. Don't, don't harvest those things in the corner. Leave them for someone else because I'm the one who's going to provide for you. Trust me with that margin and I'll take care of you. Um, Jesus modeled margin as well. When you read down through the, through the New Testament, um, uh, there, there are multiple scriptures where Jesus was doing critical ministry with lots of people. He was making a big impact. 
And Jesus chose in those moments not to just try and, and increase and multiply that impact. Jesus chose to get away and to have margin. If you're in the app, if you've got the notes there, there are some scriptures there. Matthew 8, Matthew 14, Matthew 15. Um, times where Jesus is healing multiple people. And it says, in the midst of all that healing, Jesus got on a boat and went out on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus went to the other side of the lake. Um, Jesus fed the 4,000. He fed the 5,000. And what happened? There's all these people that are captive audience that Jesus can make a huge impact by continuing to teach and minister. And Jesus said, no, I need to get away. I need to create some margins, some space, some time for me with God. I think one of the best examples of margin in Jesus' life is found in Luke chapter 8. In it, he's doing ministry. Jesus is doing important stuff. And this guy named Jairus comes to him and says, would you come heal my daughter? She's sick. We think she's going to die. Would you come? And Jesus had the margin to be able to say, yeah, I'll come. So he's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. And this woman who's been sick, who's been, who's been bleeding for, for years, touches his garment. And Jesus stops everything and says, who touched me? I felt the power leave from me. Jesus had the margin in his ministry to be able to respond to the people who were around him and to do what was necessary in the moment. Um, let me look at, let's look at one more example if we can. This is Luke chapter 10. And, um, and it's, a, it's a story that Jesus told that's probably very familiar to, to many of you. But maybe, maybe it's the first time you've heard it, but you've heard someone talk about the Good Samaritan. This is a parable that Jesus, this Jesus told in Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The man, the expert in the law, answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the man asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any expense you may have. Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise, do the same thing. Here's the reason that I quote that parable, why I read that parable in this message on margin. The good Samaritan had margin in every part of his life. He had the emotional margin to have compassion on this man who was hurt and wounded and dying. He wasn't so stretched that, that he, like the, the priest and the Levite, just saw the man and walked by. He also had time margin. He had the ability to stop on his trip, 
to take care of the need of this man who was wounded terribly and to load him onto his donkey and take him to some place where he could get help. He also had financial margin. He had the ability to be able to, to say, you know what, whatever his need is, I'm going to take care of it. I will pay for his stay here at the inn. I will, I will pay for his medical care. The Samaritan, apart from just his concern for his neighbor, the Samaritan lived with margin in his life that allowed him to respond to anything that was going on around him. I think the, be the best way to describe the benefits of having margin, of living with margin in your life, is this. When you know you have to be somewhere, um, whether that's coming home from work, whether that's going on a business appointment, whether that's meeting a friend for lunch, you can only arrive one of three ways. Whenever you're going to meet someone, right? You can arrive early. You can arrive on time or you can arrive late. There are no other options, right? It's either early, on time, or late. Most of us think, um, I, you know, I'm supposed to be in this meeting at 2.30. It takes me 30 minutes to, to get there. I'm going to leave at um, 2 o'clock because it takes 30 minutes to get there, and I'm going to be there at 2.30. Anybody live like that? You don't have to raise your hands. I can see it in your eyes, all right? Um, and what happens? What happens? Inevitably, there's traffic, there's a breakdown, something happens, somebody pulls you into a meeting, and you end up late for the meeting, and you feel this tremendous amount of stress that, that ends up stealing your productive, productivity for the rest of the time. You tell your spouse, oh, I'm going to be home for dinner at 5.30. Knowing that you've got this amount of time, you leave at the last minute, something happens, you get home late, things are, not just the dinner is cold when you arrive at home, right? Um, and your, your relationship with your spouse is impacted because you haven't created margin in your life. Something always happens um, to prevent us from arriving on time when we leave only um, with enough time to arrive on time. We always end up late. But when we choose to arrive early, whatever that is, when we build margin in so that we can arrive on time, we get there, we're relaxed, we can have meaningful conversation before the meeting, before anything happens, and our productivity, our, the way that God can use us in, that, in, in those moments changes dramatically. Um, you have to build margin. Um, it, it may be easiest to think about margin in the managing of or stewarding of our time, as we talked about last week, but it's equally true in our finances. That's what that's, this Always Hustling series has been primarily focused on, on, on finances, but it impacts our, our time as well. You can only do three things with the money that you make, with the income you have. You can spend less than you make, you can spend exactly what you make, or you can spend more than you make, right? Those are the only three options. You can choose to live on less, you can choose to live right to the edge, or you can choose to live beyond your means and deal with the consequences of those. Um, what happens? What happens when you choose to live at the level of your income? Something always goes wrong, right? You have a flat tire. 
um, this, the, this thing happens or that thing happens. The unexpected happens. And, and you end up putting it on the credit card. That ends up causing all kinds of pressure. You end up having to pay the extra interest for that, and that compounds the problem. The lack of margin in your financial life impacts things in a huge way. If you live at a level that's less than your income, if you, if you live at a standard that's less than you can afford, you will be happier. You'll have less stress. You'll have more financial flexibility. What happens, what happens when you don't live with margin? There is this growing sense of irritability that exists in your life. You're just, you just have this anxiety, this churn, this sense of, I want to hit somebody, right? Um, it, it's just there. When we don't live with margin, it causes depression. When we don't live with margin, we get physically sick because of all the stress that's there. When we don't live with margin, the pressure of our finances, the pressure of our time causes us to make mistakes. When we don't live with margin, we, we lose the ability to do the things that are most important in our lives. Let, let, me, let me give you three kind of big picture teachings about margin that I think are, are really important. Um, the first is this, a lack of margin kidnaps what's most important for us. It, it takes away the ability to do what we really want to do. Um, when we don't have margin in our time, when we don't have margin in our relationships, when we don't have margin in our finances, we become a slave to the pressure of others, of other things. When you rush from one thing to the next to the next, you don't have time to see God working all around you. When the demands of others fill your relational quota, you don't have time to enjoy a quiet cup of coffee with your spouse. You don't have time to enjoy a sunset. You don't have time to play a game of catch or a game of cards or a board game with your kids. When every dollar that you have is being spent on your mortgage or filling up the gas tank or fighting off a creditor or filling up the gas tank or, you know, whatever it may be, or filling up the gas tank, um, you don't have the ability, you don't have the ability to help pay a friend's doctor bill. You don't have the ability to give to God in the way that you'd like. Margin is where your priorities find traction. Let me say that again. Margin is where your priorities find traction. Margin gives you the ability to respond to the needs around you. Margin allows you to say yes to the things that really matter most in your life. Margin also sets the pace, it sets the table for peace in our lives. Margin doesn't create peace in our lives. We can still have lots of anxiety, but margin sets the table for it. You know, you can eat out of the pan. Right now, Deb's in Joplin, and I'm kind of eaten out of the pan. You know, whatever I, whatever I fix, I eat, whatever. It's a completely different experience when you prepare the meal, set the table, do the candles on the table, and sit down and eat together as a family. Completely different kind of experience. Margin sets the table for peace in our life. It doesn't necessarily create it, but it allows it to happen and allows it to grow. Um, selfishly guarding margin in our lives helps an unselfish heart grow. When we're selfish about, yeah, I'm gonna, you know what? I've got to have margin. 
it allows us to be unselfish in every other aspect of our, of our lives. Um, you may think it's selfish to say, no, I'm not going to do that. No, we're not going to buy that expensive car. No, we're not gonna, I'm not going to go meet that person for coffee. But if you're saying no, knowing that those things will create undue stress in your life, knowing that those things might derail your relationship with Jesus, it's a good thing to say no to those things. Third thing is this. Margin enables you to think and live with a kingdom mindset. It allows you to take a step back and not be so controlled and governed by everything that's going on around you. When every bit of our life is scheduled, every bit of our finances are committed, all we can do is fight to survive. All we can do is fight to survive. When we create margin, our finances, our time, stop being so much about us and allow us to live with, with, a, with a sense of what's going on in other people's lives that's so much more important. Margin allows us to notice where God is working and to join him there. It's the language that we talked about in experiencing God. See where God's working, join him there. Margin allows us to do that. Margin allows us to trust God and to not trust ourselves to get everything done in the, in the time that, that, we, um, that we think. That... Uh, that we think that we can control, we can make the finances work, we can do all of those things. Margin is about trusting God and allowing yourself flexibility in life. Here's the question that, 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 that's the hard question. Do I really believe I can accomplish more and, and accomplish more of what matters if I try to squeeze every moment out of the day, every dollar out of my paycheck, or do I choose to live my life in such a way that I can more easily hear God's voice, more easily see where God is working, and join him in that process, where I can live a life of peace and contentment that will benefit my spouse, my kids, my friends, my coworkers. They'll see that in me. So how do you create margin in your world? How do you do that? That's, uh, yeah. how, do you, how do you get to the place that you're not always hustling? The first thing that you've got to do is just do an audit of your life. You've got to take a look at what's, what, how you're spending your time, how you're spending your money, and what is most important to you. The more important the destination, the more critical your margin. It's why I built so much time when I was leading that group that traveled I built so much time into both the front end and the back end and all the way through because it was critical that we didn't, um, that we didn't break a relationship with the church that we were going to and, um, and the college. It was critical. The more important the destination, the more critical the margin. And the faster you go, the, whatever level you're living at, the faster you go, the more important margin is. Um, so so uh, audit your life uh, and then do this. Budget for what's most important. Commit to the time that will allow you to live with the things that are most important. Um, the only way that you can create margin is if you budget. If you budget your finances, if you budget your time. Give God your first fruits, but then budget for unexpected things as well. Um, the, on this whole area of, of margin with your finances, it's not just about an emergency fund, but you need to budget for an emergency fund. It's not just about having a savings fund, but you need to budget for a savings fund. It's, um, it, it's not 
just about giving to the kingdom through the church. But you need to do that. That's a part of, uh, of how Christians should respond. Having margin in your, in your budget means that there's at the end of the month or the week or whatever it is that you've got some extra money, that, that, that it's not committed to anything, whether that's $10.39 or $315.27. It doesn't matter. It's just having some extra there that's not committed that allows you some margin. Um, the, the other thing that you need to do in creating margin in your life is that you need to practice your response. Um, turn to the person on your left or your right and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, do that. Say that right now. No, I'm not going to do that. Yes, all of you, the people who say, oh, no, I don't want to say it. Practice. Practice saying no. No, that's not most important to me. No, that doesn't fit with what God's called me to do. It's an okay thing, but you need to practice saying no. Two little words, two little letters, right? But man, so much of the time, if you're a people pleaser, Somebody asks, you say, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And all of a sudden, your margin is gone. The, the last thing is this. Regularly prune. Um, regularly prune your schedule. Regularly prune your finances. I would venture to say that in our group this morning, that there are probably thousands of dollars that are committed to streaming services, whatever, that you don't use. Magazine subscriptions, uh, uh, subscriptions and other stuff, that it's just there because you've been paying it and you've never turned it off. Regularly prune and see what God does with that. Um, I, uh, if you've ever been to my house, you know I, I've got a wood stove in the basement. That's uh, what we use primarily to heat with because I love it. I just enjoy it. Let me tell you something about when I build a fire in the stove. When I put the wood in there, put the paper in, get the stove started, when I add the kindling, all that kind of stuff, if I put too much in there, the fire won't light, right? There has to be space where the fire can breathe. There has to be margin for it to work. Be ruthless about stopping payments for things that you, do, that you don't use. Be ruthless about things that take up space in your calendar, that aren't really that important, that aren't really a priority, that won't really matter if you eliminate those things. Um, last, last fall, when, I, when we planned the direction of this particular message, my thought was that the application of this in the context of the Always Hustling series would be focused almost exclusively on the way that we deal with our finances. Um, how, do we, how do we beat that culture to stop to keep from always hustling, from trying to get ahead. Um, we, we've talked about giving our first fruits back to God. We've talked about recognizing that we're a steward, that everything that we have comes from God. We create margin so that we're not stressing about money all the time. We've got to make choices to live well, to live in a way that we can see God work and respond to it. Margin for margin's sake is of some benefit. It'll help you. But margins so that you can see where God is working and join him in that work, that's what this message is all about. This is not a, this is not a self-help feel good, oh, create margin in your life because everything will be better. Create margin in your life so you can do what's most important, so you can see where God is working and join him in that. So that you can be more generous, so that you can give, so that you can 
do what God has called you to do. Um, if you live on less than you make, if you live with financial margin, you will live with less anxiety, less pressure. You'll live with more joy. Even if that means that you live in a smaller home, even if that means that you have fewer toys, even if that means that you have an older car, even if that means that you don't go such, to such a spectacular vacation site, less anxiety, more joy, deeper relationship with God, all of those things can come with margin. Um, some messages are easy to preach because they're easy for the preacher. They're easy things for the preacher to implement well. Others are more difficult to preach because the Holy Spirit keeps saying, oh, really, Rick? Yeah, really? Preaching on margin, huh? How's that going in your life? This is a hard one because I want to accomplish as much as I can with every minute of the day with every dollar that I have. When we live that way, it limits our ability for God to use us and for us to be in relationship with him. Um, life without margin is like walking on the rim of the Grand Canyon. Maybe you can do it for a while, but the danger is incredibly real. And the view of the Grand Canyon from a few feet back is just as good as from the edge when you have that margin that's there. I, I uh, created a little bit of margin in today's message so that we could finish it and have a time to just pray together. Um, I wanna invite you to spend some time praying about having margin in your life, about the Holy Spirit challenging you to think about maybe some things that you need to cut out or cut back so that you can live and respond to what God has called you to do. I've asked some people that, that would be willing to pray. Um, if, if, uh, if you'd be willing to pray with someone, come, come on down right now. It'll take them a, just a little bit of time to do that. Um, we're gonna sing in a little bit. If you would like for someone to pray with you, to pray for you about having margin or, or not having margin, um, that's, that would be great. Um, we've got, uh, you know what, Wes and Diane, can you guys go back to that corner? Would that be okay? Um, that would be great. Um, uh, if you want to come down front, feel free to do that. If you want to go to the back, Wes and Diane will be in the corner. Jeff's back in the corner over there. Um, if you want to just pray where you are, that's cool. Um, the music's going to start in just a second. We're going to sing. Um, feel free to come down and, um, and have people pray for you. Maybe you need prayer not for anything margin-related. Maybe there's crisis in your life and you just need somebody to pray for you this morning. This is the time to do it. Let's stand together. Let's pray. First, let me just pray first and then, then the music will start. Feel free to come on down at that point in time. God, you know, um, you know how easy it is for us to get off track, to pursue things that may matter, but they don't really matter all that much. Um, God, we ask collectively and individually that you would help us take inventory of our life, that you would help us see what we're doing, that you would give us perspective, and God, that you would help us say yes to you and no to the things that steal joy and create anxiety. That's our prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name.
Feel free to come.
Let me just say this as, uh, as we're finishing up. Know that whether you came down or not, you've been prayed for. These guys who are up front, I've been looking at you and praying for you as God's prompted. But they're gonna stick around a little bit in the corners. And if um, maybe you didn't feel comfortable coming down, but you can come down after the service. Somebody will still be here to pray with you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Live with margin this week to God's glory. Have a great day.